0: Listener production. I'm automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. For this episode, I'm at Phillip Island ahead of the MotoGP race weekend here. It is a rare beautiful day at what Barry Sheen once famously described as the gateway to hypothermia. Baz quietly helped a lot of people during his career, including my guest today. I've set up some mics and I'm in the commentary box at the top of the control tower overlooking the circuit. Downstairs in some nearby paddock garages are a fleet of identical bikes that are part of what's known as the Oceania Junior Challenge. There are kids from our part of the world racing them, some of whom aren't even in their teens yet that are hoping to one day make it to MotoGP just like Gary McCoy did. He's now sharing some of the learnings with that next generation from a career that started almost for fun and was actually headed more in the direction of Speedway in those early days to a seriously rapid acceleration to the World Motorcycle Championship. He experienced the end of the mighty two-stroke era and the early years of the four-stroke machinery that is so close and incredibly competitive now. There's rides in the World Superbike Championship too, and why he's never really called time or formally retired as such. Plus the nickname that is a reflection of his trademark riding style. I hope you enjoy the ride as Gary McCoy shares his story. It's great to be back at Phillip Island. Does this place and the paddock and so on evoke some good memories for you? Because it was your life for a good period there, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Rusty. I mean, it's it's always great to be back at Phillip Island. you know, the weather's a little bit touch and go, as we all know, but... Uh, Beautiful today,
0: but maybe, yeah, not, maybe yeah. not Sunday.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll give it a couple of hours even, you know. It's, <laughs> you, you don't know what's, what's around the corner here, but uh, no, nah, it's a g- great place to come to, you know, looking overlooking the ocean and, uh, you know, bring this MotoGP life here. Like you said, I was in it for quite a while and half my lifetime there at one stage and... Um, yeah, it's good to be back.
0: Amazing. Can we start with a little bit of early life stuff, right? So you grew up in, in New South Wales. I'm always interested in the connection to a machine, a, a racing thing. How old were you when you got your first bike? What was that first bike and how did it all kind of come about?
1: Uh, well, I was about five years old. Uh, I had uh, what, what a, probably worth a little bit of money at the moment, uh, the little Honda Mini Trail. Nice. Uh, which is like a Z50. Uh, she had the lights on it, and well, we took the lights off and put a number plate on it, and went. You know, did uh, started off with Jim Um did a Jim for a few years, and then um, eventually, well, I rode and, rode in a paddock for a few years after that, uh, and then went to motocross, and then from motocross to speedway. speedway and, yeah, I uh, really wanted to go overseas and race in England doing In the in speedway. The speedway, yeah, because yeah. Uh, I yeah you know, obviously. Grew up or my father was racing speedway and he had a lot of friends. Um, that's how I sort of got my contacts into the sport and um, knew a lot of guys there. So I was really looking forward to doing that. I didn't really even watch road racing at the time and I uh, wasn't really too into it. But I just sort of got forced down that path and... Um,
0: and away yeah, you am. went. Yeah. So, so before we go go that direction, um, let's talk a little bit about the, the Speedway side of things because they're, they're this intoxicating machine, no brakes, mm. um, and the skills you learn in that still serve you well even now, don't they?
1: Oh, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, when I, went, when I started racing the two-stroke 500, uh, you know, the power that them things had on the bitumen uh, felt very similar to a Speedway bike oh, on the dirt, you know, yeah. so... I think it was a great learning curve for me and um, I, that's half the reason I adapted to the 500 so well. So
0: well. What, were the, what was the Speedway bike that you had? And I mean a couple of names if I'm, if I'm right here like Todd Wilshire, Craig Boyce, some of those names were around in, the, in that period, weren't they?
1: Yeah, well Craig Boyce. Um, shit, oh, sorry. It's okay, you're allowed to. We're <laughs> but, allowed um, to. We, we grew up as kids, you know. Yeah. We, we, he was my neighbour. Uh, before I rode bikes. Wow. So my first the my first motorbike that we were just talking about yeah, yeah. was Craig Boyce's first motorbike.
0: Is that right? Yeah. What became that's got a bit it's of lineage. What became of that bike? Do you know is that gone or someone no, got yeah, that? No, is it's it- gone somewhere,
1: gone. but I've got like a replica one at home now. Have you? Okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So from the speedway to um to road mm. racing, if I'm Lining stuff up right here, there was an opportunity, I think, around the Winfield Triple Challenge or something, wasn't there? Or is that is that the first proper foray, or how did you yeah, go well, road racing?
1: Um, so, Winfield Triple Challenge was my second ever road race, race meeting. Wow. Uh, the first one was in Nove- well, November yeah. um, 91 at Oran Park, yeah. which is gone now. And then, Winfield Triple Challenge was in end of January.
0: That's right. It's a straight uh, Day long weekend, wasn't it? So, just a yeah, few months
1: later. That's right. Um, so yeah, it was my second ever road race, uh, I didn't even know who I was racing, never ridden at Eastern Creek before <laughs> um, and Barry Sheen was the commentator mm. and I went out and won both races, just did what I thought I had to do, do basically and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I caught every, a lot of people by surprise, awesome. you know.
0: Who was helping you then? Like how were you getting the like me, me and the
1: old man really. Oh, really? Yeah. And then
0: like a van or a trailer or something and yeah, off you I went? Yeah, had, had a van, yeah. yeah. What was the bike? Uh, RGV 250. 250, yeah. crazy. So Baz invariably was great at um, at seeing things. Um, that might be you. I don't know who that is. Doesn't matter. We'll figure that out. Um, he was great at spotting skills, talent and, and stuff like that. And and I think he happened to go to a race meeting maybe in Japan and he spruced your name to people. Yeah, is, is yeah, that, that's, that's, right. that's That's a part
1: of it, yeah? Well, uh, there's a kind of funnier side to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It was Sunday night, and he was uh,
0: after the triple challenge. No, no, oh, no, oh, uh, in, in, in Japan, Suzuka. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: so it was a really wet weekend. Like everyone, a lot of people crashed, especially in the one-two-five class. Um, so he was out on the turf Sunday night, and um, he was sitting at the trough, you know, doing his thing. And some big German fella stood next to him and said, "Oh, do you know anyone in Australia that you know can replace our rider?" And it all led from there.
0: Amazing! Mm. Oh, you got to get Gary. Give yeah, Gary a yeah. call. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and then he rang me on April Fool's Day. Day. <laughs> yeah.
0: So did you? I'm like,
1: Who is this guy? Did come? you? Did
0: you have? Because that's happened to a couple of people on the podcast at times. You must have had one of those double take moments where you thought, "This is not legit. Surely yeah, this is yeah, a game. You know? Especially
1: it was April Fool's Day. <laughs> I'm like, nah, you're
0: joking. So this is a kind of rapid acceleration here, Gary, from, from uh, November. Oh, definitely. Went through a Triple Challenge and now, now you know, my, potential.
1: My fifth ever road race uh, was the Australian Grand Prix in 92.
0: Amazing. So you're on. Uh, t- tell us about the bike, how you stitched that together. Baz made some calls and the team and so on. Tell, tell us more about yeah, that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, basically, I, it was the first time I'd ever ridden on slicks. First time on a 125. First time in a Grand Prix. First time for everything. The whole lot was, was just—it was just thrown at me, and just had to deal with it. You know, it was,
0: and and was it was a young Gary McCoy doing what at this stage? And did you all of a sudden go, "Hang on a minute, I'd quite like to pursue that." That's that's yeah, a exactly. bit of me. Yeah. I mean,
1: that that's where it was. Like you said, it's only over a couple of months here because I thought oh, I'll give this a go.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then th- three, four months into it, I'm at a Grand Prix. You know, and people people want me to go overseas and. Yeah. You know, looking at me for next year and I'm like, wow, what's going on here? Yeah.
0: So, the, the, I mean, in that rapid um, uh, growth curve that you've just described there, I mean, now, now you're playing at a level where calibre of riders is incredibly good, bikes are, you know, are, are good, but you're still at that sort of entry level of, of GP racing. How wide-eyed were you and what was that whole experience like?
1: Yeah, well, look, it wasn't really until I went overseas, so you're moving away from your family, Family. your home. Was that hard? Um, Was that hard? It wasn't hard to leave, but when when you're actually there and then you're setting up for the weekend, the bike rolls out, you've got a new track, you're back on this bike that you don't really know much about or Mm. hadn't spent much time on. And then, um, you know, the guys are... know it's grand prix level the guys are just going out first session bang they're on lap record pace and here i am still trying to get used to this new bike but i've also got a new track new country um language different language uh, all sorts of stuff so that was a big sort of eye opener for me it was like oh wow this this ain't just riding a bike around the track anymore you know Mm. it's it's more to it than than that than
0: that when did it feel um cemented because in that that Period, you can, you're never quite sure. It's a brutal game. If you don't deliver, or if the team has financial issues, whatever it may be, you, you, you're sort of doing that dance, aren't you, to ensure yeah. that you can?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I had 1993 concrete, you know, I did a contract for 93 uh, full season and we got some all right results. Um, probably not as good as I was hoping. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said again, you know, you're just moving around the country or the world. Uh, all year long learning new tracks uh it was another new bike for that year um so yeah just had to try and get used to it it's like anyone even now uh you know say Quattraro goes to ducati next year it's going to take him you know some months six months possibly a Mm. year Mm. just to get a good feel on that bike and get it you know Mm. set up for him
0: what do you think of the 125s because they they great class. We now have uh, what we know as Moto3, which is four-stroke, but back Mm. then it was 125cc two-stroke. Some great names came through it. And in that period that you're describing, there was one Valentino Rossi that was coming Mm. through too, wasn't it? And invariably as you grew, and so did he, uh, you two were battling each other quite a a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until I looked back um, at some of the older races, like when I won in 96 at Eastern Creek, Creek in the yeah. 125 class, um, it was on the on the cool down lap after the race,
0: um, I noticed, I'm like, oh,
1: that's Valentino so you know. Rossi. <laughs> I didn't even know he was in the race, you know. But you were with
0: you were with an Italian team at one point there, and they were they were talking about this kid <coughs> coming through. You know, his his yeah. dad was was very well known. Obviously, yes. you know, from you know, in motorcycle racing, Baz knew him and so on, and raced against him. And so, um, and I, I think he gave you a really nice uh, credit at one stage there, where you know, like like racing you, battling you, chasing you was was fun, didn't he? Yeah, he respected yeah. you. Yeah. I
1: think at one stage he said, you know. People should have to pay a ticket to follow me. (laughs) Pay for a ticket, yeah. Excellent. But um, no, we we spent a lot of time together in the earlier years. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he might have used me a little bit to sort of learn the tracks that he didn't know. Okay. Um, Because, you know, when I went overseas I didn't know anyone obviously Mm -hmm. and uh, just had to go out and learn it for myself. But when Valentino came in, he was a good friend. Um, You know, obviously we still are but... um, he was a specially good friend then, and we'd go around on the scooters around all the tracks. And I'm like, "Oh, you got to come out here, and this is the line, and blah blah blah." And excellent. So, because that was his first year, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But then we were a little bit sort of competing against one another, no. and yeah. he sort of took his side a little bit, and yeah.
0: The oh, way it went. Yeah. Was Was your Italian good? Were you learning some things yeah, like yeah. that? Yeah,
1: yeah. I was pretty much fluent in Italian. Uh, I lived in Rome for two years. Uh-huh. Uh, so it wasn't – we were on a plane one day and I, I, someone was talking, you know, across the aisle and, in Italian and I bumped one of the mechanics. I said, what language is that? He goes, oh, it's Italian. I'm like, oh, well, I couldn't really pick up. He goes, no, nah, you speak Roman, not Italian. <laughs> yeah.
0: Excellent. The first win aboard a 125, what did that mean? Take us back to that day. Um, And it wasn't all that far in real terms, was it, from where we are now?
1: Nah, well, um, yeah, I mean, well, it was a terrible day, but it was a great day for me. Um, It was pouring down rain. We're in Malaysia.
0: Sepang, yeah.
1: Uh, It was obviously hot, still humid, Mm. even though it's pouring down rain. Um, But it rained that heavy. Um, I remember the last corner, it was just like riding through a bathtub, you know, just water spraying out the sides and... Yeah, I just kept, you know, gas on, head down and wanted to see that uh, finish line until they red flagged it but it was more than half race distance, distance. so they yep. called it and it went back a lap and I was actually leading that lap. I was um, battling with uh, Stefano Perugini yeah. and, uh, yeah, he's a hard basket to crack that one. <laughs> but uh, I actually got along with him really well too, you Sweet. know, we're good friends because he, he lived pretty close to Rome and mm. we used to catch up every now and then. Um, but, yeah, he's a fun guy, great guy. And, uh, yeah, it was just great to be out on top and, and take, you know, my first Grand Prix victory.
0: So for a bloke who uh, was initially keen on Speedway, had come through dirt bikes and so on, thrust into the whole road racing scene, catapulted into the World Motorcycle Championship and now you are a GP winner, a pretty special place in the in the record books for Ausis. Yeah, Aussies.
1: yeah, I still look at that every now and then. Um, I'm actually <clears throat> pretty close to... Because I think Kevin McGee only won one race. Okay. I think Beatty was one or two, three, or three was it? Because I've won three, three excellent. in the big class and yeah. two in the little class. Excellent. So sort of five in total. But yeah. um, which again, I, I don't think anyone else has done small class and big class, big class, class. until Jack Miller come along.
0: Yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah,
1: no, it's good to be up there with the boys and. And it's good to catch up with them and have a few laughs every now and then.
0: I, I have very vivid memories. I was very uh, green as a as a commentator and still learning my way of working at at what is now Sydney Motorsport Park at Eastern Creek and um, Barry and the late Daryl Eastlake going crazy because you were you know you had success there on a on a one two five machine in front of a massive crowd that day, mate. That was pretty special too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. I mean. That kind of felt like my first, even though it wasn't my first victory, it was my second one. Yep. But doing it in front of the home crowd and um, hearing, you know, Daryl Eastlake, as you know, mm. you know, he, he was just a cracker Mr. on Energy the telly, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Barry just screaming out, "Go, Gaza! <laughs> go, Gaza!" Like, yeah, it, it was, yeah. A moment I just will will never forget. Mm, Uh,
0: Cool. Was was Baz good at, um, you know, sort of little follow up bits of advice along the way, perhaps, or if you, you know, when you were. uh, Yeah, definitely. uh,
1: Always gave me advice, you know, Mm. obviously watched me all the time when, uh, whether it was just out the window looking upon the track or, you know, on on telly. Mm. Um, But I remember he used to tell me a lot, you know, don't look back, don't look back. And I'm like, well, everyone else is. And, you know, I want to know who's there. (laughs) He's like, just keep looking forward Forward, and later on in my career um, it it sort of sunk in and I never looked back. Wow. I just, you know, read me pit board. The pit board says everything. Yeah. It's got everything on there, you know, how far the next person is behind you or how close they are, um, what your gap is to the leader or, Mm. you know, so everything's there. There's no reason to look around and... I'm trying to drill that to some of these kids now because they're all they're looking at the the current Moto3 racing and as you know you mm. know especially in qualifying they're all sitting up and looking around and looking for a toe and mm. I'm like just you know um, head uh, bum up head down bloody off you go. go just keep looking forward and just go as hard as you can.
0: Let's just um, expand on that a, a little bit. So as you sit in front of me, you've got the blue crew gear on the uh, the Oceania Junior Cup. You are uh, you know, while well, there's Moto 3, Moto 2, and Moto GP here, the three classes of the of the World Championship, we have this great thing that complements it with lots of very talented young riders. So it's a great chance for them to be on center stage here. Just explain what you do in terms of, of helping them and, and tapping into that knowledge bank. I mean, you're about to when we wrap up this conversation, go on a track walk with them and share some insights of Phillip Island and so on, aren't you?
1: Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, I'm here to sort of basically um, go through everything I went through, um, just show them and make them understand, you know, everything they really need to know. If they, if they want to want to make a career out of this, you know, this is this is your life. This is what you have to do. Mm. Um, you know, it's not just belting around, having fun. you got to, you know, take a lot of stuff in and... Look at the weather conditions, track conditions, um, even, you know, I'll say to the, guy, the kids today, um, you know, GP's on, you're going to have nice fresh paint, and, you know, check all the, all the paint around the track and mm. stuff like that. So yeah. it's just little things that, you know, obviously the guys in the GP and that, they'll be doing exactly the same thing. Mm exactly
0: that. Is the talent pool that you've seen so far, like have we got some good things to look forward to in the years ahead, maybe another Gary McCoy, another Jack Miller, whatever it might be?
1: I think there's some good ones there. I think one of the issues I see is their age between 11 and 15 Mm -hmm. and that's very young. Um, Like when I did my first Grand Prix, I think I was 19 years Mm -hmm. old. Mm -hmm. It's already too old Old to start racing, you know, but that's how it was back then. And I think you're sort of At 19 years of age, you're already looking for that direction on where you want to be and what you want to do. Mm. Um, 11 years old, you know, they're still watching cartoons in the morning when they (laughs) get up. It's, (laughs) it's, yeah.
0: You're telling them, no doubt, uh, about things um, in terms of paddock life too, I would imagine, you know, from from mental approach to, to diet, all the things that they probably need to Get serious about too.
1: Yeah, I try to get them off the lollies and stuff, and uh, but it's (laughs) kind (laughs) of hard.
0: They're still young. They've got to have a bit of life, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: But um, no, I I, obviously I I try to tell them everything. Everything, Mm. um, you know, eat two hours before you you go out and do your your sessions. Mm. Um, You know, you need the body to sort of start
0: processing processing the food,
1: and yeah, yeah, you don't want to eat. Two minutes before you go out, you're going to throw up in your helmet and whatever and, yeah. you know, so all them little points, um, just what I learned along the way, the way and everyone yeah. knows. it's just, Basically, it's common sense when you're over 20 years of age but trying to tell and 11, 11-year-old. 11 yeah, you're you know, asking a lot
0: of them to sort of grow up in that sense, mate, exactly, aren't you? you know? Exactly, exactly. So, that's yeah. right.
1: So that, that's sort of the tough side of it.
0: If you like two wheels, it's not just the riders in Rusty's library you might enjoy. Alex Briggs has worked on race bikes for some of the greats, including Valentino Rossi. Although Axe really should have learned some Italian when he was in Valley's garage,
1: he'll tell you the story too. Like so. Almost early on, I bought one of those little Oxford Italian to English books, and I remember going to him, like in the back of the Honda truck. saying,
0: mate, mate, I'm, I'm,
1: uh, going, I'm Yeah, I'm gonna learn Italian. Don't worry, you
0: know. And he's like Yeah, okay. And he still gives me shit today. No, no joke. He just still just goes, Yeah, I remember. Okay, so I never learned. Mick Doohan and Jeremy Burgess, who Alex worked closely with for years, are also in Rusty's library. They've kept some cool old machines in their garages, which they chat about, and they're adamant that posty bike power is more than enough for Rusty. Our Fairweather Rider continues the convo with Gary McQueen now. Before we go back to GP Racing here, I think Christopher Mullen told me you've been doing some rider training in, in other areas too, up around Warwick and Queensland and so on. I, I don't know whether you've still got this bike, but he joked, I think, in a, in a pod with uh, a colleague of mine, Matt Clayton, about... Um, someone saying, Oh, you you want to see him go. He's got this thousand CC machine. And someone said, No, 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 it's a six hundred, but he, yeah. <laughs> he's rounding him up like it's a like it's a thousand. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right. Well, we're we're out at Morgan Park and it it probably I mean the track sort of you can do quicker lap times on a suit bike, but the six hundreds aren't too far away. Why? Okay. But when I'm coaching, there's, you know, we don't have Mike Jones and Wayne Maxwell and all them there. It's hmm. Sort of your your Queensland runabouts, you know, out there Mm. having a bit of fun, but so that really made me look good in a way, uh, because yeah, I was only on a six hundred, but I'm literally smoking these thousands, you know. Mm. Yeah, one guy come up to me goes, "Oh, what have you done to your R1?" And I'm like, "Um, "Have have a better look, (laughs) mate. Like she's an R6."
0: (laughs) Awesome. Let's transition here from from one two five to the big league. How did that come about? Just walk us through that chapter of your, your career.
1: Yeah, well, I, saw, I I wanted to be in the big class for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up around, uh, you got Troy Corsa, Anthony Gobert, Matt Mladen, uh Ben Archibald. There's a lot of names where, you know, we all sort of grew up together. And they all went pretty much straight to Superbike bike class. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, you know, Anthony, Troy, uh, they had a crack at the 500, Two-stroke as well. Yep. Um, and I always thought, you know, we've always ridden together and we, we're sort of not too far apart and I'm like, I can have a go on this. But, I mean, my opportunity to get into the Grand Prix, which Barry Sheen got for me, did he? Uh, was through the 125 class. Okay. Um, but then later on, I remember Kevin Schwantz got injured over in Spain and Gary Taylor was looking for someone to, to ride the bike. And I actually had a meeting with him and I said, look, I reckon I could have a crack at this. And in the end he was just like, oh, nah, you know, you just ride the little bikes and we're sort of a little bit unsure on how you're going to go. Okay. But a couple of years later I'm winning races on the Red Bull Yamaha and Gary Taylor's, you know, up on the podium with us with Kenny Jr. on the podium and um, I'm like, Told you, you should have given me a go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking kind of late nineties here. Are we were what? What year would that have been? Ninety-seven, maybe. What uh, year? When you had ninety-nine. The with, ninety-nine was it? Yeah, okay. Ninety-nine. Yeah. Okay. Crazy. Yeah. Let's let's step back though, because I think the proper. But, um,
1: sorry, talking to Gary Taylor. Yes. Would have been mid nineties. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then it was
0: only th- like
1: three years later.
0: Yeah, that you're I'm, on the podium. I'm on the here. top
1: step and. <laughs> Old hey, remember Taylor's. that combo? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was the first bike, um, was it Harbick Racing, that, that, that yes. shell machine? Take On the us 500, there. 500, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so it was the two-cylinder, you know, the, the twin that Honda brought out. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a great machine. It was a good way to get into the class without going to the um, so-called, you know, big bang yep. suicide machines, machines, you know, yep. that just want to spit you off every corner.
0: Yep. Um, nice way to move into it then. Yeah, yeah it's yeah.
1: kind of – it's – they used to talk about it pretty heavy, but it's not until you actually jump on it and ride it and it's like, well, it's not really that bad. They do buy it. Mm. They do buy it. Where I,
0: were you when you rode it for the first time? Take us there. The
1: big one you mean? No, no, no. The, no, the, the, twin? the your
0: very first time in a uh, bought one.
1: Um, I think that would have been the first time. I think it was down here at Phillip Island. Was it? Yeah, we did a test down here at Phillip Island, yeah. What would you think? I think it was, it was great. I did love it. Um, unfortunately, it was a little bit too... Like a lot slower down the straight than what a four-cylinder is, mm-hmm. uh, but around the corners and everything, I used to light up that rear tire, and it <laughs> just had good bottom-end power. And all right. yeah, I did. I loved it. I actually wish I had one now just to go out and have some fun, fun. on. You know. Yeah. Um, but if you want to win races, it wasn't <clears throat> wasn't the bike to win a race on.
0: Uh-huh. That's for sure. So what about stitching deals together? I mean, you, you talked about you know. Um uh, Gary balking at you because of you know you being in the one two five class. How did you go piecing that together to move into the to the big league?
1: Uh, I was basically through Jeff Hardwick, mm-hmm. um, known him for years, uh, ever since you know I raced back here in Australia doing the AWRC at the time, yeah. um, and then yeah, he he obviously slowly moved into Grand Prix racing himself, and then. Spoke about you know getting this 500 class going. And he said, "I really want you on the team." And I'm like, "Yeah, bloody oath, I'll do it." Awesome. That'd be, yeah, it'd be great. And, yeah.
0: and at what point then, you know, because the the paddock, uh, once you're at that that absolute pinnacle of of um, motorcycle racing, everyone in this paddock keeps a close eye on their rivals and riders. And to walk us through that that um, that first kind of year, if you like, at the at the pointy end.
1: Yeah, it's definitely tough, but. Um, I found it with being on the twin, people didn't really expect too much from you. Mm. I think if, if you know, if I jumped like say Anthony Gobert went straight to the Lucky Strike Suzuki yep. team, uh, they, they they were eyeballing him the whole time, time. expecting mm. results mm. and, you know, whereas because I was in like a new team with a new bike and it wasn't quite the four-cylinder, you know, 500, it was just the twin and they had their own little twin class. There was a few riders out there so mm-hmm. we're all sort of, Competing against ourselves, yeah. uh, rather than you know Mick Doohan and and Crayfar and all that lot, you know they yeah. were just in another league. Basically, it was on the um, bike with nitro <laughs> <laughs> compared to our little <laughs> slugs, you know. Yeah. But um, but no, it was good to come in it that way because yeah, the eyes weren't really on you, focused on you. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, they were all appreciative that. You were on an underpowered bike and you're still out there having a go and and getting the results that we were. Mm. Um, See, if anything, they were giving you more credit than sort of bagging you, let's say. Um, But yeah, it's not until you get actually on the four-cylinder bike that's when they're like, oh, okay, now you got to prove a point. Point,
0: yeah. At this point in time, you're living in Andorra, is that yeah, right? Yeah and, yeah, and you sort of pioneered that in some ways. It's become a great place for, I mean, Vermeulen lived there for a while. Um, I, I think you showed Simon Crafar around. He's, you know, he's still there, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, so, yeah, I know. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I was, well, Jeff Harbick was the first one there. He's the okay. one
0: that sort of, you know, told Suggested. me to come along and have a look. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then he sort of hooked me up and then I ended up buying a place there and um, – I bought a couple of places in the end. but <laughs>
0: Go dirt um, bike riding regularly because you could. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: we mm. just had trials bikes because it's like a, you know, it's in the Pyrenees Mountains. Mountains. It's, mm. um, there's a lot of hiking paths and ski resorts and all mm. that sort of stuff and we just get on the trials bike and just use it like a, a big trail area, wow. you know. It's, it how, was does that help,
0: how does that help in a riding, riding sense? Is it just just uh, physical fitness or is it is it some of the things you're actually doing on the bike are, are
1: quite yeah. good? Well, it's also riding at the altitude.
0: Mm.
1: You do some of the um, physical stuff up in a high altitude, you're running out of breath really quick. Quick, yeah. um, And then when you go back to sea level, you seem to have that extra energy.
0: Yeah, that crunch. So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, you know, it was definitely a, a good help, I believe. Um, and you're on two wheels, you're holding the throttle, you're going through gears. It's, it's a motorbike. Yeah, So.
0: The Aussie contingent in the paddock and in the pit lane was it was it, you know were they pretty welcoming and and uh, y'all got on pretty well?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was it was all good. Um, Brock Parks was over there, yeah. so me, him, Christopher Muhlen, um there was Rubens house uh, a few others, but yeah, it was it was only a little handful of us to start with, um, but yeah, I hear about it now. Everyone's there, even um, I think Max Freak from. Uh, Speedway. Okay. I think he's living there too from what I've heard. Okay. It's become yeah. a little
0: hub, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I
1: know. It's Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Can be a brutal game um, in, in injury terms. What's the one for you along the way that was... was uh,
1: I was really disappointed. I think, you know, I reached the pinnacle of my career but I was ready to raise the bar the following year, mm-hmm. um, which was in 2001. Mm-hmm. And... So that's when it was mixed four-stroke and two-stroke. Yep. Uh, so 2000...
0: Very beginning of four-stroke. We'd begun merging, haven't yes, we, into yes, the new era. That's yeah. right.
1: Yeah. Um, so we did a pre-season test at uh, Estoril in Portugal mm-hmm. and I'd won there the previous year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And um, won it by like a mile. I was five seconds in front uh, to... Oh, Kenny Roberts got second, Valentino mm-hmm. Rossi got to Excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we, we did the pre-season test for 2001 mm-hmm. and I was like quickest every session and then we went out and tried a new shock, a mm-hmm. new rear shock and it was a little bit windy. It was getting later on in the afternoon so track temp had dropped a little bit. And this thing just spat me over the bars and um, snapped my leg. I, I saw, you know, a big kink, uh, you know, around my shin and I thought, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they chucked me in a van, carted me back to the medical centre, old Costa, and then uh, they laid me on a bed and they said, oh, we've got to straighten this thing. So they just started pulling on, you know, grabbed my foot and just started yanking it and I was screaming like, yeah, it was... Most pain I've been in, I think, my whole life. It's oh. Just that one moment of actually breaking my leg and sitting mm. on the track and realising it. I don't know if it was the adrenaline or mm. what was going on, but it didn't seem to hurt. Mm. But once they tried to, you know, pull my leg down back. and get the bones back in, that hurt like hell. Mm. Yeah.
0: You, you opened your answer there by, by almost talking about it being like a bit of a turning point. Is that what, you, what yeah, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So then um, there was a lot of... Yeah, obviously had surgery, um, did a lot of rehabilitation uh, to try and get back on track. Went to Suzuka, which I think was the first race of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And uh, I think it was only three months uh, of rehabilitation that I did. And, you know, it still it was still very fresh. Mm. And um, even though it was pinned and screws everywhere and all the rest of it. Um, it sort of worked. I went there, had a go. It was raining. I crashed, and I think yeah, just everything from there on end, just there on in, just started to sort of fall away a little mm. bit. Mm-hmm. I did get some good results at the end of the year, um, but then yeah, we sort of, you know, the year after that we went to Dunlop tyres, which wasn't really competitive for us mm-hmm. uh, during that year. And then the year after that I went to four-stroke yep. on a bike that was pretty pretty new in the paddocks. So.
0: We're, we're jumping around here and we'll, we'll come back and, and cover off a couple of key things. But firstly, do you, I mean, you're in your early 50s now, you're younger than me, which is, um, you know, you still spring chicken really. <laughs> um, but do you feel any of those that, that stuff now or you, you're actually fine from an injury standpoint? Oh, uh,
1: yes and no. I mean, it's still there. Mm. Uh, I think I've just lived with it long enough now to sort of put it out of my mind, long you know, up. and... Yeah. Uh, but sometimes, you know, if I'm on my feet all day, obviously the the ankle that I was just talking about, mm. um, you know, you sit down for half an hour, you go to get up, and it's like, no, nah, mm. can't, you know, you've been on it all day, Seized you're not kind of you're thing, not yeah, giving yeah. it, you know, yeah, giving it more now, yeah. Cool. So. You
0: love it. You love bikes, and, and um, you know that's half the reason why you're, you're still here today. Did one of them in this period ever scare you at all? I mean, they're, they're just <laughs> uh, we can't undersell enough to, to the audience, particularly if they're not um, massive into bikes, just how wild a thing they are to tame, mate, hey?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I wouldn't say none has ever scared. I mean, that yeah, you get scared mm. but not scared where like um, I don't want to do it anymore, anymore. or yeah. I don't want to get back on that bike. Mm. Um, doesn't scare you in that way. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a machine. Mm. Uh, you're you're the one controlling the machine, uh, so it's up to you to get your head straight and you know work your way around the bike and and make it work.
0: the end of part one of my feature episode with Gary McCoy. Thankfully it's Thursday here at the island. It isn't too busy and both of us have a bit of extra time available. So there is a part two in the library for you and it is ready to fire up whenever you like. From the origins of his nickname to a change of direction that meant leaving this paddock to try world superbikes. Was it the right move? And what about working on projects like the Foggy Patronus Machines and helping triumph back into the record books decades after they had last tasted success? And how close he went to getting his hands on a Steve McQueen scrambler. All that and more here on Rusty's Garage.